Open your Bibles this morning, if you will, to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah. My favorite prophet, as I have uh, journeyed through dangerous toils and snares, I have developed a kindred spirit with Jeremiah. And uh, when I was in college, I remember reading the book of Jeremiah for the very first time for Old Testament survey. And at the end of the book, I had no more idea what it was about than I did at the beginning. <laughs> but these many years later, I have found Jeremiah to be a well from which I can draw. And I want to give you some truth from that precious, wonderful book this morning from the weeping prophet. We'll be in the 32nd chapter. Now that you've found the prophet himself, find the 32nd chapter, if you will, and we'll look at that chapter and the following. I want to uh, just briefly state that we do have a table over in the dining hall, and uh, there are books there that I have written. There's artwork there that my wife has done, as well as artwork that my older brother has done. My older brother is an artist and has been for all of his life. I cannot remember when he was not drawing, and he's never had an art lesson, but he is uh, very accomplished, and so I trust that you'll stop by there. You can do all your Christmas shopping right there and have it done before the end of October. Jeremiah 32, if you will, consider with me this morning, verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, which was the 18th year of <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Wherefore dost thou prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him mouth to mouth, and his eyes shall behold his eyes, and he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there shall he be until I visit him, saith the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not prosper. You see, Zedekiah was asking, Jeremiah, why, why do you preach these things? You're just discouraging the people. You're, you're prophesying doom and gloom. And, and so Zedekiah the king had put him in prison for this. And if we study it, we see this is the 10th year of Zedekiah, who reigned only 11 years. And so this is very near the end of Zedekiah's reign, the reign of the final king of Judah, who was really only a puppet to Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, this king reigned and did very little to follow the Lord at all. And so was uh, taken captive. He was blinded, and that's the reason verse 5 says he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, because Zedekiah was blinded. Moving on now in verse 6, and Jeremiah said, under these conditions, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, thine uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. So Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said unto me, Buy my field, I pray thee, that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is thine and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. 
Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field of Hananiel, my uncle's son, that was in Anathoth, and weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed him the money in the balances. So I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was open. And I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Maasiah, in the sight of Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses that subscribed the book of the purchase before all the Jews that sat in the court of the prison. And I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may continue many days. I open this message here, and we have already prayed and trusted God to be with us in this hour. I open it with the command to the saint to do something insensible. Now, you want to put yourself in Jeremiah's shoes. He is a prisoner in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, in the court of Zedekiah, technically, but it's really Zedekiah's prison now, because, uh, or, or Nebuchadnezzar's prison, because Zedekiah is a puppet king. He is there in prison, and he is approached on a regular basis by people who are asking, why do you preach the things you preach? Why are you so the way you are? And in the middle of this, at the very end of this reign, as things are building up, building up, building up for what is an obvious judgment for the nation of Judah, God comes to Jeremiah and says, your uncle's son is going to come to ask you to buy a field because it's your right of redemption to have it. And Jeremiah is sitting in prison. He has been preaching now for uh, many, many years that that God is going to destroy Judah, is going to destroy Jerusalem, the the gates are going to be burned, the walls are going to be smashed down. And now he gets this word that his cousin, his uncle's son, is going to come and say, buy my field because it is yours to have. And he's thinking, this makes no sense. Nobody's going to be living here. This place is going to be destroyed. Well, then his uncle's son showed up, just like God said. And he said, I want you to buy my field. And Jeremiah says, well, then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And so he bought the field. He, he followed all the laws and customs of the time. He, he had, the, he had the, uh, the agreement signed and sealed. There was, there was evidence sealed and there was evidence that was open. And he told Baruch, who was his scribe, very likely the writer uh, from the mouth of Jeremiah of the entire book of Jeremiah. And he told Baruch to take it and put it in an earthen vessel where it would be safe. Do you know that we are commanded to do some things that don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. We're living in days very much like Jeremiah lived. I don't want to discourage this generation because in all reality, I believe that whatever time remains before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his saints is in the hands of this generation. Stand tall. 
But you know, we are, we are surrounded by people who are wicked and evil and cruel. We are surrounded by Nebuchadnezzars who are oppressing the church. We are surrounded by Zedekiahs who are merely puppets, who have no backbone, who have no stand, who have no character. And together they are forming a force against churches and against believers and against the work of Christ. And indeed we live in a time when the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing. And the kings of the earth set themselves against, against Christ, against the anointed of God. We're living out that time which has been lived out over and over and over. And yet God says to us, I will therefore that men... Pray everywhere. First of all, that prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority. That means judges, that means governors, that means legislators, that means senators and, 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 and representatives, that means policemen and mayors and councilmen. That means that prayer should be made. Does that seem insensible to you? It does to me. These people don't want anything to do with God. But the purpose of that is that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. The Bible says, love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus went on to say, rejoice and be exceeding glad. How many of you jump up and down and click your heels and clap your hands and say, glory to God, when you hear some of the things that are happening to the people of God at the hands of the wicked. How many of you are thinking, I can't wait for that to happen to me? And when that does, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pray for them. We're supposed to bless them. We are supposed to not reward them in kind. The command to the saint to do the insensible. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But I want to move on to the God who is capable of the impossible. Look, if you will, beginning in verse 15. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. This land that's going to be destroyed. The houses are going to be rifled and the people killed and the women with child will be ripped up and, and judgment will come. And, and as Jeremiah writes later in the book of Lamentations, the dead lie in the streets and the children swoon and they go to the well and there's no water and they, they look for food and there is none and, and Israel and Judah are, are destroyed and wasted. The saddest book in the Bible, Lamentations, after this was all fulfilled. And yet God says to him right here, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Now when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord. So after giving that evidence to Neriah, he went to God in prayer. Can I say something? When you are confused, that's a good time to pray. 
When God seems to be working in your heart to do something that does not make earthly, human sense, that's a good time to pray. Listen to the words of Jeremiah's prayer. Ah, Lord God, verse 17. Behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. This is an affirmation by the prophet Jeremiah. God, I, I know there's nothing. You made the heaven and the earth. There, you, you did that by your, your great power and your stretched out arm. God, there's nothing impossible. There's nothing too hard for you. Verse 18, thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great and the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. You know what? God, you're able to show loving kindness to people. You're also able to recompense iniquity. You're a God that can do anything. Verse 19, great in counsel and mighty in work. For thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Father, you're the God who can look down from heaven and make sure that everyone is treated right eventually. You're the one who can give reward to the righteous and chastisement to the wicked. You're the one that can do that. There's nothing too hard for you. Verse 20, which has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day, and in Israel, and among other men, and has made thee a name as it is this day, and has brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with strong hand, with a stretched out arm and with great terror, and has given them this land which thou didst swear to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they came in and possessed it. But they obeyed not thy voice, neither walked in thy law. They've done nothing of all that thou commandest them to do. Therefore thou hast caused all this evil to come upon them. Behold the mounts. You see where Jeremiah's going? God, you brought us in. You, all these signs and wonders. You opened the Red Sea. You opened the Jordan River. You conquered all these nations. You, you did everything you said you would do. There's nothing you've ever said in the past that you would do that you haven't already done for your people. In other words, Jeremiah is saying, I do not have one example of something you promised to your people that you already have not done for them. Verse 24, but look around, Lord. Because I don't get it. You see what he says in verse 24. Behold the mounts. These would be ramparts and embankments that are built by Nebuchadnezzar's army to overtake the city of Jerusalem. Behold the mounts. They're come into the city to take it. The city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans that fight against it because of the sword and of the famine and the pestilence. And what thou hast spoken is come to pass and behold thou seest it. In other words, he's saying it's all but done. Verse 25, and thou hast said unto me, O Lord God, buy thee the field for money and take witnesses for the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. You see, Jeremiah starts out his prayer by saying, ah, Lord God, 
Thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. But he ends his prayer saying, but how can that be? Look around, Lord. Look at the mess we're in. You told me to buy a field. Well, I obeyed you, but I, I, I just don't see how this can work. I am baffled. I did what you said. But I started my prayer in faith and I'm ending it in doubt. Have you ever done that? I'll be vulnerable and transparent. I've done that. Well, you start out with great intentions in the prayer closet. And before you're done, you're, you're telling God all the reasons that it just can't happen. I've done that. The rest of this chapter, God is the one talking. And we see in the rest of this chapter, and it's lengthy. I may not read every word, but I want you to understand that it is God's conviction for the saint that he, that God is absolutely invincible. In verse 26, Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Same words Jeremiah started his prayer with. In verse 17. But now instead of saying, and there is nothing too hard for me, God is speaking and he says to Jeremiah, is there anything too hard for me? Jeremiah, you, you started well, but at the end of your prayer, you sounded like you really didn't believe what you said when you started your prayer. So I want to ask you, Jeremiah, and I want to ask you as young people today who are, who are moving into being the church of Jesus Christ on this planet until Jesus comes, maybe. Is there anything too hard for God? God said, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. It will be destroyed. The Chaldeans that fight against this city, verse 29, shall come and set fire on it, burn it with the houses upon whose roofs they had offered incense unto Baal and poured out drink offerings unto other gods to provoke me to anger. Verse 30, for the children of Israel and the children of Judah have only done evil before me from their youth for the children of Israel have only provoked me to anger with the work of their hands, saith the Lord. And God goes on all the way through verse 36 to talk about the utter destruction that is just about to happen. If you follow a chronology, it was just maybe within a year that it all took place. In verse 36, God says, And now therefore thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel concerning this city, whereof you say it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries whither I have driven them. You see, God is saying, I'm not done. What's going to happen to this city is not the end. It's a step. I have something more that I'm going to do. I am invincible is what God is saying. Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time. 
but he was no match for God. Wicked people are no match for God. All of them put together are no match for God. All of the forces of humanism and secularism and socialism are not enough to conquer God. It's a great day to serve the Lord. The Bible tells us that David, to bring up another Bible character, served his own generation by the will of God. There's a reason he did that. He had no other generation offered to him. This is the generation that God has given to me. My generation is moving off the scene. And this is the generation that God has given to you. And your generation is beginning to move onto the scene. We could say, wouldn't it have been wonderful to serve God back in the 1800s during the great revivals, during the time when you could preach to 100 people and 200 got saved. <laughs> now you can preach to 500 and nobody gets saved. Or maybe two. It's a different day. It doesn't mean that God is not working. It means that men are different because they are very different today. But you know the 1800s had some negatives too because entire towns were wiped out by diphtheria and smallpox. You see, every day and every age has its benefits and its bane. And this is the time that God has given to everyone that's in this room. God said, there's coming a day when I'm going to gather them out of all countries, verse 37, whether I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury and in great wrath, and I will bring them again into this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall see my, or excuse me, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. It's going to happen again. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. But I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. And all the way to the end of the chapter, God is reminding them that he is not yet done. May I remind you, may I encourage you, may I give you hope today that God is not done. This is but a little hiatus. This is but a little step. This is but a little time in which men are rising up as if to say we're going to build our Tower of Babel and we're going to rise up and we're going to put God to flight and, and we're going to show those Christians and we're going to show those churches and we're going to have our way and God is not done. He's not done. There is coming to the, this prophecy that is made here in verses 36 to 44 was partially fulfilled 70 years later when Cyrus, who was named hundreds of years before he was born uh, by the prophet Isaiah, made a decree and they, this remnant of Jews from Babylon went back and they rebuilt the temple 
And they rebuilt the city under Ezra. They rebuilt the wall under Nehemiah. It was during those days that the glorious drama of the book of Esther took place. And then we have the prophets Zechariah and Malachi, or excuse me, Haggai encouraging the people in their building. And, and we saw a partial fulfillment of that. But listen, there is coming a day. We call it the millennium. If Jesus comes today, the millennium is only seven years away. Amen? It's not that far away if Jesus comes today. The full fulfillment of what God is doing on this planet is perhaps very close. You and I may see the Lord come. I don't know. I haven't sold my house. I haven't sold anything yet. I need a place to stay if Jesus doesn't come in my lifetime. But I want to say this. I believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. I believe that his appearing is the hope of the believer. And I look for him. I don't look for the tribulation. I look for the deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change this vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body when this corruptible puts on incorruption, this mortal puts on immortality. I'm looking for that day. I'm listening for the shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And even though I look around and I see the decay and the destruction and, and we're threatened in our freedoms. Listen, I was here a year and a half ago the day the school was shut down. I was supposed to be here for two days. They kicked me out after the first day. Because your governor said, I hope that doesn't happen again. Amen? One never knows. You see, what I'm trying to say to you young people is this. There may be commands to you and to me that seem insensible, but our God is capable of the impossible. And there is the conviction that you and I must develop in these what we call crazy days. That God is invincible. I want you to see finally this morning the calling to the saint or the calling of the saint, excuse me, that God finds irresistible. Look, if you will, at chapter 33. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time, while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name, call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and concerning the houses of the kings of Judah, which are thrown down by the mounts and by the sword. They come to fight with the Chaldeans, but it is to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I have slain in mine anger and in my fury. And for all whose wickedness I have hid my face from this city, behold, I will bring it health and cure, and I will cure them. And reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. And will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return. And will build them as at the first. And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity whereby they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities whereby they have sinned and whereby they have transgressed 
against me, and it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and an honor. And God goes on all the way to verse 14, talking about how it's going to turn out. He talks in verse 11, the voice of joy, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, the voice of them that shall say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And on and on he goes. Because you see, there is a prayer in this chapter. And there must be people to pray prayers. And the invitation to pray and the prayer is in verse 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee. And I will show you things that you don't know anything about. I will show you great and mighty things. Not just little trifles. I, I understand. God answers the little prayers. I get that. Uh-oh, you got a pop quiz and you forgot to study. Father, in all honesty, I forgot. Please help me. I don't know how many times that happened to me in college. I worked third shift. I would get to class and think, oh, my goodness. I forgot. Working third shift does something to your brain. I'm not quite sure what it did, but it did something. And you know how many times God would help me on a quiz for which I had not studied? Now, he didn't help me when I was lazy. He helped me when I was caught unawares. God doesn't re reward laziness. He'll be kind once. After that, you better be diligent. Amen? Amen. He said, call unto me and I will answer thee. And what God wants you and me to call upon him for are the impossible things. The things that seem absolutely insensible. The things that absolutely can't happen. If you're calling upon God, if your prayer list, if your prayer life is comprised of things that, even if they happen, it would just look like, well, it happens every day anyway. Or, well, it was just a coincidence. Look, I, I would encourage you to cross those things off your prayer list. I would encourage you to have a prayer list like God told Jeremiah right here. A prayer list of things that can't happen except by the divine intervention of God. And you may start sometimes in your prayer list with the great bold proclamation, Behold, Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and thy stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. And by the end of your prayer, you might be saying, but, but, but Lord, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. You just keep calling. You just keep praying. You just keep trusting. Three years and some months ago, our youngest son was in a dreadful car wreck. He literally clung to life by a thread for the first 30 days. We had no idea from day to day or even hour to hour if he would survive. His neurologist said his brain injury is so severe, he cannot live. And if he lives, he will be a vegetable. We've done everything we can do. You need to find a nursing home for him. On a scale of 1 to 10, if brain dead is a number 10, he is a 9.5.
there is nothing we can do. You can look it up, diffuse axonal injury. The stories are not happy endings. How would you like to hear that about your own child? My wife and I claimed Isaiah 26, 3. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And we claimed Psalm 27, 13. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we began to pray against all odds. And God began to turn the tide. 217 days in the hospital. Three separate hospitals. Nathan began to stir and he began to heal. He began to speak again. This little high-pitched voice like a, like a toddler. He'd been a bass before that. He called my wife Mommy and called me Grandpa. That's how damaged his brain was. He couldn't put on a T-shirt. The first time they put a, tried to put a T-shirt on him, Brother Van Gelderen, it took over five minutes for two therapists to get a T-shirt. He didn't know what to do. He couldn't walk. He was smashed to pieces. We kept praying. And there were cognitive miracles that needed to take place. There were physical miracles because his right or left pelvis, which took the impact of a man going 60 miles an hour blowing a stop sign, his, right, his whole left pelvis was shattered. The surgeon said more than a thousand pieces of bone, like salt. We needed some physical miracles. We needed some spiritual miracles because he'd been running from God. And I can tell you, if Nathan were standing here beside me today, you would know nothing, had, you would not know anything had ever happened. If you were to have a conversation with Nathan, you wouldn't say, wow, something's wrong with that kid. You would not. If you were to watch him walk, you wouldn't say, boy, he must have been beaten up pretty bad. No, you would not say that at all. And if you were to see him operating in the church and serving the Lord, which we wondered if that would ever happen again, you would not know that he had ever run from God. It's not just the physical things. It's the spiritual things. Some of you have unsaved loved ones. It's impossible. Just keep praying. Some of you have prodigals that you know and love. It's impossible. A brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city. And the bars, their, bar, their, their, their bars are like the bars of a castle. It, it's hard to get through. Some of you have financial mountains that need to be moved. Some of you have inner struggles that you have never discussed with anyone on this planet. I know that. 
I have them. The truth is, all of us do. And one by one, in my Christian walk, God has taken care of those struggles. And I can testify to the glory of God that it didn't happen because I'm so talented, because I'm not. God did not take care of them because I'm so well-trained. Because even though I did get a good Christian education in college, it's not my training. I'll tell you where those conquests came. They came in the prayer closet. I'm not bragging except on God who is the deliverer. Because I tried for many years to do it myself. I'd like us to stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm going to have our pianist come and start playing number 65 in the chorus book. And if you would play that softly and perhaps a little more slowly than we might sing it. And I'm going to ask that God might deal with your heart. If there is something upon which God has placed his finger this morning, some impossible thing, I want you to know nothing is impossible when you put your trust in God.